We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't know about everyone listening, but after a long day of work, I just need to come home to a nice, refreshing tall boy to ease my stress. I actually just had three or four last night, if I'm being honest. No, not those tall boys. A refreshing tall can of liquid death was exactly what I needed. If you've noticed a new tall boy can in the water section that looks like a beer or an energy drink, it's actually liquid death, a mountain spring water from the Alps that comes in still, sparkling, or in three different flavors. Try the lime, trust me. Why is the water called liquid death, you ask? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. There's just something special about grabbing an ice cold can of liquid death, hearing the pop when you open it, and quenching your thirst with the best tasting still or sparkling water on the market. I honestly could not go back to bottles even if I wanted to. As I mentioned, I can't recommend the Sparkling Lime Liquid Death enough. It has the perfect lime flavor to go with a crisp, refreshing finish. It's also the best water to mess with just about everyone you know, as they probably think you're chugging a beer in your car or a work meeting at about 9am. Seriously guys, check this product out. I've been absolutely loving it and I know you will too. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Packaday Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Friday edition of the Packaday Podcast. It is Friday, so you know exactly what that means. My special guest, Mike Wall, joining me once again. Mike, great to be talking to you. How is everything in the great state of Texas? Texas is doing just fine today, Andy. Thanks for asking, and, and as always, thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. We've got a lot to discuss. I think an interesting week overall coming off a Patriots game that I think didn't go exactly as a lot of people expected it to. In uh, you know, Bailey Zappi keeps it interesting for four quarters plus overtime. And now you've got a game in London where you've got a interesting turnaround traveling overseas and facing arguably the best running back in all of football in Saquon Barkley. So we'll, we'll start right there, right? Because I think the run defense for this team was really one of the key topics for this past week and, and sort of the lack thereof. And it's obviously going to be the focal point for the Packers this week in trying to stop Saquon Barkley. So uh, what did you see from the run defense this past week? For the Packers, the run defense, it, we've seen it a couple of times. It's, there's a combination of different things. Uh, tackling has been up and down, just generally speaking. There's two things that I think are kind of interesting uh, that might be a little bit different than last year. 
The first is right now we're boxing in. We're playing a box technique with our defensive ends, our outside linebackers. And that means that they literally put their chest towards where the ball was hiked. They put two hands on their on the defender when they're coming, whether it's a trap guy, whether it's a, whether it's like a guard pulling out or whether it's a guy coming downhill. And that's one way to do it. The, the problem with doing it that way is that you're not leaving your outside shoulder and your outside arm free to the line of scrimmage. And it essentially makes it very easy for a running back to spill over the top and, and get the outside. Now, when you do this technique, it's predicated on the fact that your outside your linebackers and your safety is going to fill the alley extremely well and fill it and fill it fast and get the guy in the backfield. If you're not doing that, if for any reason they're not getting to their spot on time, it becomes it creates a problem. We've seen that the last couple of weeks. The other thing that I know you and I've talked about, we talked about it when they got drafted. We talked about it when we decided they were not going to play Chris Barnes this year. When you don't have a guy in the middle that's a thumper, like Quay Walker is still learning to play that position. And he can make a lot of tackles. He has great range, but he can make a lot of tackles six, seven, ten yards down off the line of scrimmage, right? He's not making – he's not filling a hole, making – he doesn't have a lot of tackle for losses. He doesn't have a lot of tackles where he makes contact and stops the guy dead the tracks. It's a position where I think you have to grow into it physically as well as mentally in, in the National Football League because of the size and the skill of the lineman that you have to take on and because of the skills of the running backs, obviously. So, you know, it's one of those deals where – I bet if you had Chris Barnes playing, our run defense would be a little bit better. I know maybe not overall the defense would be better, but it's just a different skill set, and that is having an effect on our defense. So we we obviously – or you went over a lot there, right? So we talked a little bit about scheme. We talked a little bit about personnel. Uh, we talked a little bit about execution. Um, obviously, it's always going to come down to one of those things, but in this case, it seems like it's a little bit of uh, all of the above. If, if you had to kind of narrow it down to – all right, the, the scheme isn't, you know, good enough. They're getting outnumbered, you know, whether you don't like, you know, the box team, whatever it may be, is there, mm-hmm. is there something with the scheme? Is it, you know, the, the players just aren't executing, they're not getting to their spots quickly enough, or is this more of a talent deficiency where maybe guys like Quay can't fill as physically as you would like right now? Um, or again, is it just kind of all of the above? I just think it's a combination of everything. Are we committing enough people to the box? And it'll be a good test this week to see, are we committing enough people to the box to stop the run when we know, that we're playing a third-string quarterback, fourth-string quarterback, a quarterback that might be a first-string guy but really isn't a starter in this league. And they have, you know, and they're going to try to win. I mean, the thing that was interesting about the New England game, right, is that we know that the New England Patriots only have one way they could possibly win. Like, Dr. Strange was doing his, you know, eye, his eye flick thing and going, there's there's one way yeah. in seven million to win this game. And they almost did it. And so when we don't commit to the run game like we should have, when we're not kind of winning on the edges like, we probably thought we would have it at, at this stage and in going into the fourth game of the season. Um, you know, I, I think it is a combination of a number of things. I'll say this, like New England is a very, very well-coached offensive line and, and well-coached offensive lines can move humans off the ball. And if you just run hard, you're going to average four and a half, five yards of carry in this new NFL where we don't see a lot of eight man boxes. Quick aside here, you I know you posted on Twitter about, and I'm going to butcher his name per usual, but Michael Nwenwu, uh, the the guard for New England. Dude, I thought he was good. fantastic. I know you mentioned it as well. Um, there have, And it wasn't just him that was on Kenny, but he, he had some matchups with Kenny that were good. David Andrews had some matchups with Kenny that were really good. I thought they did the best job of any team in neutralizing him in the middle of the field as much as you possibly can. Um, I, I was so impressed with their offensive line and yeah. just the physicality, and they really brought it to Green Bay. Yeah, they played really well. And again, they're a well-coached team. They always have been. And and offensive line is one of those positions where if you have a good coach in that room, you got guys that believe in what you're doing, you can you can move humans off the ball. It, 
offensive line of all the positions on the field relies the least on athleticism and it relies the most on kind of technique and we'll just call it grit for lack of a better term. So if you've got those in spades, man, you certainly have a chance to be successful. And this is kind of what you saw, I think, uh, last Sunday. So every, every week in the comments, I think to a T, there's always, there's the question, uh, either can Mike be the uh, offensive line coach for the Packers or why is Mike not an offensive line coach? Is that, is that something you ever looked at uh, that you wanted to be an O-line coach or something that you would consider in the future? Yeah, I love football, man. I, I, I work a lot with athletes. I work with some pro guys now. I work a lot on skill development and, and I work with younger athletes. Um, I was in the league for a number of years. And I was a skill development Professional ball, there's a lot that goes into football that we don't see um, in the media and we don't see uh, on Sundays. Um, right. I certainly think that I think that the play of offensive line in the National Football League is not nearly what it should be. I think that there's a, a, a lot. I think there's extremely talented coaches in the National Football League. I don't think there's very many. And I think I think there's a there's a, certainly a space there where you can find guys that are super passionate and excited about the movement patterns and the techniques and the decision-making that goes into being an elite level player that could really help out a lot of teams in this league. I don't know yeah. if I'm one of them, but I, I know that that's true. I think, yeah, I think you probably are. Uh, hopefully that happens at some point. That'd be amazing. I, I don't know how we got off on an aside on run defense going over to that, but uh, I had to ask you anyway. Um, but let's talk, you know, so we talked about some of the deficiencies this past week and clearly New England's play up front played a major part in that, but now you do have this Saquon Barkley challenge coming up this week, and he has been nothing short of phenomenal so far this season. He, I think he's really sort of, you know, looking like the guy that everyone expected coming out of Penn State um, this year. I mean, he's agile. He's a freak athlete. He's breaking tackles. He's cutting back across the grain. He's just a really fun player to watch right now. So if you're, if you're, uh, you know, put your defensive coordinator hat on for a second, if you're Green Bay, how are you preparing for this challenge? Well, I think that the last two games that the Giants played against the Cowboys and then against the Bears, kind of they gave you the blueprint of what they're going to try to do against the Bears. They went out against the Cowboys. They were still trying to drop back Daniel Jones. Their new right tackle, Evan Neal, was getting beat a lot by Demarcus Lawrence. And, you know, Jones doesn't see things out of the pocket very well. He holds the ball too long. And this last game versus Chicago, they're like, I, I forgot. They might have run the ball 37 times or some ridiculous thing. But every pass was a keep pass. Every pass was a play action with a waggle. I mean, they were getting the guy on the move. And so if I'm if I'm playing defensive coordinator, I'm commit I'm going old school, man. Like I, I wouldn't mind going and coverage cover one commit me eight man to the box in a minimum. They're running two, three ten sets all the time. They can't block our guys. Absolutely crash the ends, force Saquon Barkley to be a one dimensional a one cut player, and then do everything you can to stay second and long, third and long. Because if you're second and long, third and long against this team and force the quarterback to make plays, you're going to win a lot of football games. You have to commit so many people to the line of scrimmage in order to stop Saquon Barkley because he is a rare, rare athlete. Yeah, and I, I think that's the right way to play. And there was a very telling comment, I thought, from Matt LaFleur in his press conference this week where they, you know, he basically said, yeah, when the other team's running the ball and they don't have another way to beat us, we have to be more aggressive in bringing that extra safety down into the box. Like, it, he wasn't really mincing words um, when he was saying that. So I think they're going to definitely be more aggressive. And I don't know about you, but, like, when I see a, a team that's specifically just trying to get their quarterback on the move, um, it tells me that they don't necessarily have confidence in him in the pocket. Like I get that it plays well with Saquon in the backfield, but um, I don't think that the Giants have a ton of faith that, you know, Daniel Jones can go out and beat teams with his arm right now. And then you add that to the fact that like when I, this is totally different, but I'm, I coach youth soccer and all the time mm -hmm. I'm focusing on like, where are your biggest threats? Like what, what are the threats that you're most concerned about? Right. 
and trying to drill this into nine and 10 year olds is always a joy. Um, but <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to focus on where's your biggest threat and how can you defend that? And with the Giants, it's not like they have, and I get every player is an NFL player. They can all beat you if uh, given the opportunity, but like they don't have any major threats on the outside that are giving you a, um, you know, just a ridiculous level of concern. Your, your major threat is, con you know, consistently and constantly Saquon Barkley, uh, but it was the running backs last week and Green Bay struggled with it. So I, I'm with you. I want to see them do a lot more to focus on the run and, and, and stopping Saquon than basically anything else. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It'll be interesting to see if they commit to the run like they like they say they they I, they certainly know they should. And the lesson learned from the last week and even against the Chicago team, you, you know, we said we saw that they ran for what did they run for 150 yards against this as well, maybe a little bit over north of 150. So we haven't we've had a couple bad performances in the run game. It's not for a lack of talent. And a lot of times, what we do is we we try to overthink this stuff as as coaches and as as people who who construct steam. And this is this is kind of like at the most basic level, they've got one good, this is like Detroit back in the, you know, early 2000s. They got one good player, guys. They, they don't even have Herman Moore. You know what I mean? They, they literally have one good player. Go get him and try to make a play because this, this Saquon Barkley is the real deal. They do not have a great, they have, again, they have a decent offensive line. They have a, I, I would say a pretty well coached offensive line. They're not going to move humans all over the board. They have tight ends that are willing, but not really that able they, as far as being in the run game, like we should dominate at the edges this weekend, especially after what happened last weekend. And it's just a question of committing enough to the box and just forcing them to throw the ball to win the game. We have, I mean, we've got what four first round picks in the, in the secondary. Yeah. Let's use them. Totally agreed. Could not agree more. And I'm really interested to see how kind of Joe Barry responds after, uh, you know, again, Matt LaFleur made some comments and I think everyone wanted to see him play that game a little bit differently. Um, a player that did play uh, very impressively in that game was Rashawn Gary. Um, wanted your takeaways from his performance. And, you know, obviously we've seen him play very well against the pass. Um, we mentioned some of the issues on, you know, overall for this Packers run defense. How, how do you see Rashawn Gary fitting into this? Do you think he can be a dominant run defender as well? Or is he more of a uh, pass rush, spe not specialist, but like, is he going to make his money just rushing the passer at this point? Well, I think every, you know, for, I think just from the outside linebacker position, you're going to get recognition from what you do in the passing game. It's just on the unfortunate part of the sport. Yep. But if you watch the run tape, he's up, he's everywhere. I mean, he's making just a ton of plays. He's in the backfield. He can push and press. You know, anytime you put, like for me, anytime you put a tight end or a backup tackle, and you know, Marcus Cannon's two, you know, 360, so that's a little bit different. But anytime tight end or backup tackle against a guy like Rashawn Gary, you should expect that he should be living in the in the backfield. He's that kind of player. He has that kind of power and explosiveness, quick twitch. And I think he plays hard. You know, he's one of those guys that he just kind of shows up around the ball a lot. Um, I think, he, you know, I think all these guys at this stage know where they're, you know, how their bread's buttered, so to speak. And, and he's certainly going to amp it up for the passing game. I don't think he's, but he's not a guy that I say takes plays off. I think he plays hard, play in and play out. I'm super impressed with him um, just to see his maturation of the last, even the last year from where he was at the beginning of last year to where he is now is remarkable. And um, I think that, you know, he's, I think he's a top five outside linebacker defensive end right now in this league. I have a couple of guys ahead of him. Um, but I, I think he's right there. And, and in, in the next couple of years, he's going to do some special things for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm happy you said that because it, it seemed like there was some narrative. I know Matt got asked in a press conference this week of like, 
you know, how is Rashawn as a run defender? And Matt, you know, Matt had glowing things to say about Rashawn as well. But like, like you said, he doesn't take plays off. He, like, I know Matt this week kind of said that they needed to play a little bit more physical up front, which I agree with. But like Rashawn's not the guy that that message is intended right. for. He's coming up and crashing hard. Like, I thought he had a fantastic game all the way around. And yeah, you're, you're going to make your plays as a pass rusher, but he, he's doing some hard work as a run defender as well. I'm, I'm hoping we talked a little bit. Uh, what a couple weeks ago about getting some Rashawn Gary, Tristan Wirfs. We got a little bit, but Preston Smith kind of fell on the sword for the majority of that game and had to play Wirfs the majority of it. I'm hoping we get some Andrew Thomas versus Rashawn Gary too. I'm not sure how much Thomas you've got to watch. I'm a big Thomas guy, but um, thoughts on that potential matchup. Uh, if, if it was me, I'd put him on Evan Neal the entire game. I know. I agree. I, would, I, would I, win. I, I mean, it, it's not, and like, and well, so I know Andrew Thomas just got ranked really high with PFF and I kind of roll my eyes. I think he's a good player. He's not. He's not the. He's not one of the top three left tackles in the game for me at all. Um, but he's a, he's a good player. Like he's and listen, he's still young. What's what's the twenty uh, twenty draft pick? Uh, so yeah, Worfs and yeah. Wills and all those. Guys. Yeah, yeah, so he's he's, he's just coming into his own. I mean, he's certainly a good athlete. And um, this is one of those situations, and you know, for like for for people listening, when you hear about these rankings and whatnot, and I, I'm not dismissing that he's he, he is a good player. I'm not saying yeah. he's not, but when you hear like, oh, Andrew Thomas is the number one ranked guy in the league, it's like, well, they run a lot of play action pass, they run a lot of keep passes, they run they run a lot of tackle friendly schemes. Like, there's there's um, there's a reason that some of these guys are are kind of on paper more successful, and a reason that guys like me don't really spend too much time talking about PFF scores. But uh, and he's a good player. I think either of our guys can beat him. It's just a question of if they're going to get enough opportunities. Uh, I, I don't know that they will. If you look at the last game, Chicago, the Chicago game versus the Giants Chicago game, like that is a blueprint to win games if you're that team. And uh, I don't know if you can do that against every defense. I don't think Chicago has you know the, the best horses in the world. Other Roquan Swift's playing out of his mind right now. But they, you know, I don't know if they have a, a defense like as, as formidable as ours, but that's um, certainly a way to win games, man. They just ran, 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 play action pass, keep passes, keep it simple. He must have dropped back five, seven times the entire game. Yeah, and that certainly makes it a lot easier for an offensive lineman when it comes yeah. to pass protection. So I think those are always things that are worth noting. I know when I talk to Ben Fennell, we always talk about, you know, Tom Brady being a, a quarterback or an offensive lineman's best friend because he stays within like a, the smallest box possible and gets rid of the ball in under two seconds. Well, that's going to help some of the offensive linemen. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers and his ability uh, a lot of times to read defenses and get rid of the ball is going to help his offensive linemen. I mean, through the years, even him being able to step up through the pocket and avoid sacks, like that's going to help you as well. So so uh, those rankings are always fun, but you always have to take them a little bit with a grain of salt, or at least like understand the context around it. I appreciate you doing that. Um, you, I know you got to watch, and obviously I've been studying the the Giants film. I know you posted on Twitter that you know the Giants are doing a phenomenal job. Brian Dable is doing a phenomenal job of playing to their strengths and hiding their weaknesses. We've talked a little bit about that already with uh, sort of hiding Daniel Jones and really playing this more of a run offense. But um, other takeaways that you had and how this team is really magnifying their strengths. Well, like we've been talking about, Saquon is the guy, and they're just going to keep feeding him the ball. I think if you flip it on the other side, their defense is just doing a really good job of keeping these games close, right? And because you can't run – in this league, you can run the ball 37 times, but if you're down three scores, you're, you're going to get ran out of town. And so they're, they're doing a good job of, of keeping things close. Now, their rushing average on defense is, I think, around five yards a carry. Like, they're not killing the game in, as far as run defense. But they're playing that bend but don't break defense that a lot of people popularized, especially last year. I felt like this was the talk of the town where 
every defense is out there kind of running shell. Bend but don't break. Don't let guys get behind you. And they're doing a pretty good job of making these shorter games where both, you know, the offenses are going to get that. The quarterbacks on the opposing team are going to get that many looks. And, you know, you're, you're extending the game by giving them the run and by doing such a good job of feeding your running back. So I just think the way that he's game planning makes a ton of sense given his personnel. Um, I think they have a pretty well-coached offensive line, and they, but they're doing such a good job of – Daniel Jones doesn't do a good job of when he gets in the pocket of finding receivers. I don't know how good we're going to see his receivers are getting open. Kenny Galladay has been hurt. Um, Kadarius uh, Tony has uh, been out. Uh, I think they have, they, they have Slayton, and he's not – I mean, there's just – the guys that you kind of expected to hear their names more, you're not hearing. And so I don't know if they're doing a great job um, getting those players, making those players available or more obvious. But one thing that happens when you run play action pass that a lot of guys, people don't think about is, you know, when you when a quarterback turns his back to the defense, a lot of times these are these are kind of route tree routes that we start running. So it's like I turn around, I do a fake, I roll out and they're running like the high school flood route. They're running a scissors concept that everybody's already seen. They're running a seven, you know, comeback five. And it, it's a little easier for guys who aren't doing a great job of reading the pocket to go outside the pocket. All of a sudden the coverage doesn't matter as much. They're just like see guy open, throw guy open. And so those are the kind of things I'm talking about with Dayball, understanding where he's at in the maturation process with Daniel Jones, hiding him to a certain extent, using the weapons that he has as far as his legs and his ability to make decisions on the run. And then really feeding Saquon Barkley. This defense is doing a pretty good job of holding up. And I mean, they haven't been three and one in a long time. No, I really like the marriage of Dable and then Wink Martindale on the defensive side of the ball, yeah. two sound coaches. And you know, those guys are going to get the most out of their players on each side of the ball. And I think they're going to kind of just be pesky and annoying for the vast majority of the season in large part because of that. Am I oversimplifying things and saying that like, it feels like Green Bay is now facing this same kind of offense for the third time. Like, I feel like Justin Fields, David Montgomery, Chicago Bears, you've got backup quarterback for New England, two good running backs in the New England Patriots, and now Daniel Jones, great running back in Saquon and, and the Giants, sorry, last week the Patriots. But it feels like this is sort of like rinse and repeat. They've, they've seen this two times already. They should be much better prepared for it. Obviously, different offenses, but it, it feels kind of similar. So you may have started noticing that there's some strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not actually beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They'll also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. See, what you may not know is that most plastic isn't actually recyclable anymore, and the plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. So go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with our store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday, P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I agree. Uh, certainly. And and I think that they have uh, Daniel Jones is, you know, he's bat, He has an ankle injury. He's practicing. We expect to see him back. But if he can't go, Tyron Taylor's still in the concussion protocol. They were just kind of trying to figure out who their third, who their third guy or, the, or, or their next quarterback up, next man up was going to be. They had to bring, um, I forgot his name off of the practice squad, I think. So when you when you look at the last couple of games, and you see that we've struggled against the run, but you know the points haven't been outlandish. Nobody's dropping 35 on us. Um, it's really just a question of can you clean up the details? Uh, can we keep the? Can we kind of find more efficient ways to gain chunks of yardage on offense? Can we find more efficient, or can we get those easy scores that we're not really getting right now? The the deep ball to Christian Watson. You know, I'd love to see like an 80 yard bomb this this, this weekend you know, to start off the game again, just throw, throw one deep and, and let him run underneath it just to show everybody like this is what we're capable of as far as the weapons that we have and the ability to stretch the field. Defensively with these guys, like you said, they, they've seen this before, but every week presents a new set of problems. There's we They haven't seen a Saquon Barkley. They've seen some good guys. There's nothing like the, what they're about to see. And I'll, I'll just tell you a story to give this reference. I'm not saying that he's as good as Barry Sanders, but when we used to play Barry Sanders back in 2000s or 1990s, 2000s, guys would be walking, defensive, defensive players would be walking through the uh, the training room, talking to each other Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Don't miss. Don't worry. Take your shot. Don't miss. Don't worry about missing. Take your shot. If you if you miss, I'll get him. But if you don't take your shot, we're all in trouble. And they were literally talking themselves up because they were so scared about Barry Sanders making them look bad. Saquon has some of that to him. So we have to respect how just he's like a, he, he's a potential generational talent. Um, we have to respect that, and you really have to get guys to the ball this week more more so than we've done the last two. Yeah, they got to rally much better to the football, and uh, he just has a unique way of you know making players miss and just does things in a way that you you know from a, like just from a creative standpoint and how he sees the field. Like there are yeah. plays that you put on tape, and you're just like man, like. He, he cuts right when everyone thinks he's going left. And it somehow is just like, it's, it's almost like you're, you're hit, he's hitting the off notes and everything that the opposing team is expecting him to do. He's doing the opposite. And like, before you know it, he's just a blur. And you add that with strength and, and speed and power, creativity, vision, like just all of it together. It's just, it's a really fun player to watch. And I'm really happy. Uh, maybe not this week, but overall that he's playing at this level. Um, again, like I think we sort of expected him out of Penn state because uh, the game's just better when a player like that is playing at that level. And he's, really really fun to watch right now let's yeah, talk about totally. let's talk about some Packers offensive line I got like what 20 minutes in before I asked you your first Packers offensive line question of the week so uh but we got to ask the the big talk all week is Elton Jenkins mm-hmm. um you know and if he if he can stay at right tackle I know TJ Lang I think tweeted out you know kudos to him for his versatility but the guy's a guard um I I actually saw some a little bit of improvement I thought this week I thought his run blocking was much much better um still obviously some hiccups in pass protection but uh what did you see in week three of Elton Jenkins at right tackle uh I think it was a lot more of the same I'm just going to take some time like people think it's really easy and here's the thing about switching from guard to tackle that people maybe are having a hard time understanding like I 
I'll teach the same set to a guard as I do to a tackle, but the guard only has to kick twice. Tackle's got to kick a third time. And so the angle, everything for, for him in particular, the way that he's been taught and the kind of the angle set that he takes and the way that his, you know, I broke it down on, on, uh, on Twitter, on a Twitter video, like just the way that he gets in his stance um, encourages his body to open up early. And that's a real problem when you're playing at the tackle position. So there's some, with Elgin Jenkins, if you take the time to go back and kind of identify, assess, and correct, and look at those root, well, I just call them the root causes, right? What are your root cause issues right now? For him, it's like very, very minor things. But if you can keep square to the line of scrimmage for a little bit longer, you're going to take away like 99% of your problems. It's just a question of going out and going back to your stance, fixing your stance so you can stay square a little bit longer. All this stuff kind of falls in place. Playing offensive line really isn't that complicated, but you have to get really, really good at the very, very most basic things of the sport. Your stance, your first couple kick slides, and where you place your hands. And he's pretty good at all this stuff. If you just get a little bit better, it's gonna be he's gonna it's gonna be a hell of a difference. Having said that, I would put him at guard and put Josh at right tackle. I don't think I, to me this is a no-brainer because he's so much better than our right guard is right now. And Yash is a very, very serviceable left tackle. So I'm assuming he can go over and play right. This is just, to me, it's like a no-brainer. You get you get uh, incredibly better at one position, and you stay the same at the other, at, at worst. Would you, it sounds like you'd put him at right tackle. Would you consider putting him back at left guard next to, uh, sorry, it sounds like you would put him at right guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you consider putting him at left guard next to David Bakhtiari at left tackle to solidify the one side and move Runyon to right guard? Um, or would you just simply move Elton to right guard? I just don't know the history of Runyon uh, enough to under- to know whether or not he can just step over and play right guard if he has experience doing that. Um, he's been playing at a pretty high level at left guard. I'd like to continue to see his development. Obviously, solidifying that blind side would be I think a lot of people would think that is ideal um, and being a former left guard. Like I, I happen to think that's a pretty important position, but, uh, but for me, the, le- the, the fewer amount of people you have to shuffle, the better um, with, with Elgin, I think, you know, I don't think they're going to do any of this, but if, if they were going to make that decision, I would say, let's pick your five best. Let's move as few people as possible. And for me, that's just replacing one with the other and moving Yash over. It did seem that Matt was like that with his answer this week to the question that there was some serious conversation uh, within the team of potentially moving Yash out to right and moving uh, Elton back into to guard, which I, I'm leaning that direction as well. I think that's I can understand why maybe you'd want to give Elton a couple more weeks and maybe even just see from a Bakhtiari standpoint if he can go a full game uh, a few weeks before you move Yash away from left tackle as a just in case sort of thing. But it's not like he can't move back there if you need him to. So. Uh, I think so too. I think Elton just is a, a very good guard and it doesn't mean he's a bad tackle, but it just seems to solidify a little bit of everything. It's just one of those things where you're coming off an ACL and you're switching positions and the position is like fundamentally different than what you were asked to do at guard. It's a, that's a huge mountain to climb. And I have, I have no doubt if you had a full off season, what people don't, again, like I just want to go back to this because it's so important to me. There is so much bad technique in the national football league at the lineman position. That these and most of these guys don't look at the way your foot's in your stance, like all these little things that make a huge difference. If you just take the time to fix some of this little stuff, you would see these monumental differences in play within like, and I'm not, you know, over exaggerating in two weeks. 
but you have to be able to go out there and actually take the time and do it or someone's got to force you to do it. And I don't know that right now in the middle of the season, a coach, a pl another player, a mentor that he has, I don't know, is willing to go in and like force the change. And so for that reason, it might be, it might be make more sense just to put him in a position where, you know, he's just going to step in and do great. Yeah. Right there with you. All right. Last question before we get out of here. Uh, a lot of the buzz this week as well has been about Aaron Rodgers and his play through four games had a, a rough first half, including a pick six. I thought he was fantastic in the second half. And really, uh, you know, we saw a lot of the, the Aaron Rodgers that we've seen over the years and really leading his team to victory. Um, but I think it's probably, it's probably one of those things where, and Aaron said in the past, even his, his poor seasons or poor stretches are better than the vast majority of quarterbacks. I think the expectations for Aaron are just so incredibly high than what, you know, when he's not playing even at a, like the highest of MVP levels, it just feels a little bit jarring. Uh, but where, where are you at with Aaron through four weeks so far? I'm at the, he's a four-time MVP, back-to-back -back MVP. And most recently, and uh, those guys are kind of what I just call untouchable. <laughs> So, so uh, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of you know, juggling a lot of hats right now. I think you know with uh, with the wide receiver room, the tight end production is starting to get there, but hasn't been there. He doesn't have that go to weapon uh, yet. Tunyon's you know caught the touchdown last week, but I don't know if we we're saying that room is where he wants it to be either. We're relying heavily on the running game. The, the makeup of the offense just looks a little bit different, and so everybody's got to make adjustments. Um, Aaron certainly. You know, when you're at that level, I think the hard part is a lot of people ask me, you know, what does the quarterback say to, you know, the receiver? How does he help him? He goes, well, you know, I, you help him by telling him exactly what the hell you want him to do and make sure they're doing it. You know, that's that's because he's Aaron Rodgers. You know, when you're the best in the business, it's about how you see the game. You're trying to bring everybody else to your level and how you see the game. It's not Aaron's responsibility to start making adjustments to um, to help out and placate these like rookie wide receivers, guys that haven't been in the system, guys that are being number ones for the first time. No, it's the responsibility to, you know, and I'm th Aaron seems like the kind of guy who's going to, if you, we need to stay later, if we need to watch more film, if there's something I'm saying that you're not understanding, I'll communicate it in a different way, but it's the responsibility of everybody else to lift their game up to his level, not for him to in any way change or bring himself to a different level in order to uh, make everybody feel more comfortable. How How is that when I'm sure you've probably gone through this where you've got guys playing next to you on the offensive line where you have a comfort level and then like every year there's maybe a new guy or a rookie or something and they're just not up to the level that you need them to be at like how like I would imagine like in your first handful of year, well, obviously as you're one of those new players and you're learning, there's not much to it. And then as time goes on, especially as you get later and later in your career and for Aaron, as, as many years as he's played, I've got to imagine like at some point, it's just like, man, I've spent 15 years like teaching these guys, like how to play a certain way or like being patient. And it's like, at some point I'm, I'm sure he's probably just like, man, can't we just have like a, a team that's like ready to go and ready to play. And I don't have to go through some of these hiccups early in the season and some of these rookie mistakes. I, like it has to get frustrating at some point. Right. Yeah, I would think so. You know, offensive line's different. So when you go into the offensive line, or especially when you play in the interior, one of the things, at least for me, that became like very obvious early on was regardless of how I'm doing, I want to make sure that my help, like the way I help the tackle, the way I help the center is the most violent, physical, like they're most, they're, they're very, very appreciative of the work I put in on that side of it. 
Sure. And then we can kind of, and, you know, you're always trying to figure out your stuff, but like that's something that you can kind of control. It doesn't take a lot of talent for me to go try to smash a defensive end when he runs inside, right? Just, you just have a lot of want to. So when I, when I think about helping guys, you know, we try to, it's always, or when we think about developing players, it's always kind of like, how do you make everybody else look better? And then you start kind of working on yourself. I think when you talk about the relationship between a quarterback and a receiver, you know, I'm sure you're right in that it would be easy for this, you know, it'd be much easier if he had the same guy for you know 10 years straight, same group of core group for 10 years straight. But reality is these guys are going to move around. There's a lot of money being paid out to, to wide receivers at this stage that we're not going to be able to keep the players that you want all the time. And, you know, injuries, all these different things happen. And for God's sakes, these guys are playing for 20, 25 years now with these quarterbacks, you know, yeah, exactly. so this is, this is just part of the game. Um, I think what's, I think what we're seeing now is that, these players do not play in the preseason and we are using this time to kind of get familiarized maybe more so than we ever have. And the other thing that I think scouts and coaches have been kind of lamenting about for 10 years is that a lot of these players are not coming into the league with the skill set or IQ that they used to have because of the offenses that are being run in college. They might be athletically and maybe on a 1v1 basis as skilled, more skilled, more, more athletic than they used to be. But from an IQ, from a preparation standpoint, understanding the tools that are required to be a professional, a lot of these guys just aren't where they need to be yet. And it takes time. It really does. And I think that's an interesting observation as well, because uh, the offenses are a little bit different now in college. And you've said it for like the past decade now. And we've seen some teams that have gone to more college style offenses, I think, just to make it easier on the players transitioning in. But um, there's going to be that learning curve. And I think we've seen that clearly with this offense. And I think Green Bay still trying to find their identity on offense a little bit as well and exactly who they want to be. Clearly, they want to run the football. Um, but I like you see them go through stretches where like if you go from the fumble of Aaron Jones in that Tampa game through the end of the first half, I think it was 15 possessions, 10 punts, four turnovers, and one touchdown, like just 15 drives of really rough offense where I think they're still trying to figure things out and have things slow down a bit. Yeah, for sure. And I just wanted to ask you if you, did you, I don't know if you ever watched NFL live, but they had a really great back and forth yesterday. Marcus Spears, Dan Orlovsky. I saw, I saw was there. That he posted. Yeah. And it was, it was, so basically they were just asking, you know, what is, you know, the, what's the difference between the shotgun and under center? Cause that's really a proxy for the conversation right now about what's different between college football and pro football. And it was just the access or, or the limitations that you place on yourself when you go into shotgun from a defensive standpoint, you've opened up everything from an offensive standpoint, there's very limited amount of things you can do. You can't hide a lot. So you have, it's very, very simple and it can be very, very efficient, but you have severely limited your ability to kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, paint a different picture or trick defenses, right? Defenses have the entire playbook open when you're in center, you severely limit that when you're under center because there's so much we can do as offensive linemen, as running backs, tight ends to kind of influence the play of that box. And as we know, where that box goes is usually how that team goes. Yeah, it was it was really eye opening for me as well because one of the things that caught my eye, or like it married a concept from earlier this season. Um, one of the the things that I guess caught my ear was when Rodgers was in a presser. I don't remember the context. I don't remember when it was, but he said something to the effect of like he wanted to make sure that like he wanted to get under center more, and that was like that caught me by surprise because. For a while, especially under the last McCarthy years, like he really wanted to be in shotgun when LaFleur came in, you know, he had talked about it being a transition of playing more under center, not turning his back to the defense or where he can't read the defense as well. 
Um, so to hear him say that he wanted to get under center more, I was like, wow, that, that's really interesting. And then, you, you know, you hear that conversation that they're having and how much more that that opens up and makes the defense think more, opens things up for the offense, opens up possibilities. I'm like, yeah, you, you, we probably do want to see Aaron Rodgers more under center because there's a lot more that they can do um, in that circumstance. Yeah, and it's, and it's not only it's not only what how it benefits him directly, but it's also how it benefits all those guys up front that right now, like listen, we're running the ball at like you know five yards a clip. We're, it's, things are going pretty well, but I just read a stat like Aaron Jones has never seen an eight man box this year. Yeah, I saw that right? too. So it's it's just like it like it's mind blowing that that's even a, that that's even a thing. But with the play, and if you want to improve play, it's like well, if you want to make it easy again, back to offensive line, we want to help everybody right before they help themselves. It's like, if you want to make the game easier for the other 10 people on the field, Aaron knows that it might be harder for him to turn his back, but it's opening up a lot for everybody else. And he's the, and if you're going to put you know, that burden on anybody else's shoulders, like it would be his. Yeah. It's been really fun to see his progression with the Matt LaFleur offense. And I don't think we're going to see very many 15 drive stretches like that for the remainder of the season. It seemed like things clicked a little bit in the second half. I'm hoping that they're starting to put it together a little bit more. This offense is going to be just fine as the season goes along. Mike, every time we get to about this mark, I'm like, I mean, I wish we had another like five hours to do this. I learned so (laughs) much and I am able to pick your brain so much. So absolutely one of my favorite parts of the week. Appreciate you so much. Uh, Where can we follow you and uh, what what are you uh, working on this week? Yeah, Michael sixty eight on Twitter. Process to perform on Instagram. Andy, I'm actually uh, I'm actually editing a a book that I'm writing right now. Love believe it. it or, believe it or not, and it's all about player development and and whatnot. So uh, I don't know uh, I don't know if I'm two months out or or six months out because I've never done this before. But I know that I'm I, I put something together and I'm I think I'm happy with it. Oh, I can't wait for that. That will be a must read for sure. We'll have to figure out a way to uh, pick up a couple of those from you and give out some to our uh, listeners as well once it launches. So we will be anxiously awaiting that. I am looking forward to talking to you next week after a Packers Giants, hopefully a Packers victory. And as we get prepared for Packers Jets, that's going to do it for us today. Make sure to follow Mike on Twitter at MikeWall68. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL on the podcast at Packaday Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.